0: Good morning, Good morning campers.
1: campers. Today's activities will include trying to remember the script for the show off my the top of my head.
0: Lunch today will be iced tea and goulash.
1: And to end the night, we will be... Sarah, watch out! A piece of the scenery's falling!
0: Oh no! Oh! So put on your sunscreen, bug spray, and camp uniform as we dive into the Goes Wrong Show! The
1: goes wrong show. Not the show
0: that goes wrong like we said last week. It makes more sense. Mariska Hargate, Sam. Mariska Hargate, Sarah.
1: I am your camp counselor, Sam, an ex-pro wrestler in training and current drag wrestling manager.
0: And I'm camp counselor, Sarah, your director. <laughs> For this evening. And we're here to ask, is it camp? We're diving into popular culture of all kinds to loosely identify what makes something camp.
1: Yes, we are not here to be the definitive experts on it, but rather just talk about this often uh, line.
0: Often overlooked.
1: Often overlooked and frankly queer subgenre. Good job. You almost had that at 100%. I was almost there. (laughs) Damn it. This is what understudies are for, right? (laughs) Right? Hold on. Let me get my understudy. Clop, 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 clop. Hi there. It's me. Sam's understudy. Let me just put my accent on. So anyway. Uh, you can... (laughs) You can barely tell the difference between the two of us. I know, right? Yeah.
0: It's a flawless impression. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, the theatre of the mind. Radio.
1: (laughs) Jeremy, you can go now. Alright, mate. Goodbye. Clop, 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 clop. Alright, now that Jeremy's gone. (laughs) Why do we even have Jeremy?
0: Had you seen the Goes Wrong show before?
1: I saw... I think the first two episodes on Prime, which were in a very different order than what we downloaded.
0: Yes. They were shown on BBC in a different order than they were meant to be shown. Mm -hmm. The BBC swapped them around quite a bit.
1: It was good sitting down, watching all of it properly, because about halfway through the series, I was like, well, you know, how how many jokes can they play on having made the play slightly wrong.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: then I got to two of the episodes where I went, oh, <laughs> this is how we make the jokes keep on going.
0: I I think I know the two that you're talking about. I found yeah. the show the same way. I, I had friends who were talking about what a great show it was. This was probably like for some of the pandemic, so 2020. And I watched them and I was laughing so hard. And it's the sort of thing that if you saw in a theater, you'd be like, that's amazing. There's no way this transfers to TV well, and yet it does.
1: Yeah, I, I have zero context for the actual play itself though.
0: Oh, okay. Well, how convenient.
1: Wowie <laughs> <Thank> zowie! You.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you might think that this comes from the play that goes wrong, which it sort of does, and it sort of doesn't. So, to begin, we have to start around 2008. I'm just going to tell you off the top, names are going to get confusing in this episode. Are they all British
1: and vaguely the same?
0: (laughs) More than vaguely the same. So, Mischief Theatre is the company that puts these on. And by company, I mean like an acting troupe company. Yes. All of these... This is part of why you see the same actors recurring in it over and over and over again. These are part the original participants in Mischief Theatre, who started to create this sort of series of shows that morphed into the show that goes wrong.
1: Uh, I need you to so, say it properly. It's theatre.
0: Theatre. <laughs> Mischief Theatre was founded by Henry Lewis, Jonathan Sayer. And Henry Shields. Already you can start to see the problem. So okay. the two Henrys and a Jonathan, um, they met while they were going to the London Academy of Music and Dramatic Art. Uh. Originally, they were sort of an improv troupe. I've read different stories about how they all variously came together. Uh, Nancy Zamet, for example, who is the um, shorter dark haired lady, uh, said that she had tried to get into Lambda five times and had failed every time. So they found her when she was doing improv. So whether the other members came because they were also at Lambda at the same time, or whether they were just in the general theater scene in London at the time, it's not exactly clear. Okay. But anyway, they start off as an improv troupe. They start doing shows together. And eventually they start doing what's called choreographed performances. The Edinburgh Finch Festival keeps showing up in literally everything I'm looking into lately. <laughs> so they go to Edinburgh. They do something like eight straight years at Edinburgh doing at first improv. And then what goes into the play that goes wrong play that goes wrong is not really like any episode of the show it's a murder mystery it's very obviously influenced by noises off which i talked a little bit about last week in that it takes the same basic formula as every episode of the tv show they have a very basic plot that they are trying to put on but things keep going wrong in the actual performance and you are Very aware as the audience what is supposed to happen and what is not supposed to happen in the play. The play that goes wrong is a huge, huge hit. It opens in Islington, quickly moves to the West End. It's currently on Broadway. One of the founders, Jonathan Sayers, said that he watched a version of it in Hungary recently, where he's like, it's literally the exact same play, they're just speaking Hungarian instead. I think it's been translated into something like 35 different languages.
1: Wow, that's that's huge. 35?
0: Yeah, it's enormous. When you think about it, it's a relatively small cast. The scenery is a little bit, you know, of a workaround. This isn't our town. But other than that, like, if you have six people you can put on these shows.
1: Yeah, I mean, that that makes sense. And on top of it, there's nothing that happens in the shows themselves that's particularly tied to any one language or any one place either, right? Like, this is... Yeah. This should be, quote-unquote, universal comedy.
0: That's the whole point of this, right? Is that the scripts of the play within the play are generally the actual plot of the play itself doesn't really need to hold together that tightly
1: oh I have no framework for the gags (laughs) yeah I have no idea what happens in the actual plots of the play per se I know the overarching characters and I remember the jokes But tell me what actually happened or was supposed to happen in the pilot? No idea. Not the pilot. The the pilot.
0: The pilot. Not the pilot.
1: (laughs) Yeah.
0: I was reading the TV Tropes page earlier today and it said something like, if you actually think about these plays, they're terrible. It's like a very boring spy comedy in which nothing really happens. The one that's like the Downton Family Saga is has way too much plot to have ever fit in no matter what goes wrong that sort of thing
1: every episode is half an hour long and they, and they sometimes talk about the runtime of the plot but if you took out all of the gags that happen in this how <laughs> yes.
0: long are the plots actually going to be exactly so mischief theater as itself is basically a franchise now like i say they've got shows going all around the world of their scripts um they've also done plenty of other shows it's just that the play that goes wrong is like the marquee one right so they've done uh shows called lights camera improvised late night improv fight uh the murder before christmas they have one going on right now called magic goes wrong which is a combination sorry a collaboration between Mischief Theatre and Penn and & Teller. So it's a magic show that goes wrong with actual stage magic in it. I'm so jealous of this, I want to see it so badly. Yeah.
1: yeah, it just it sounds incredible.
0: You can also see the original cast on stage in the play that goes wrong right now, which I think would be an incredible opportunity. Wow. After their success with these shows, they were asked to do a radio comedy for BBC. Which then led to the show that goes wrong. Or the goes wrong show. <laughs> what if we just never get the title right the whole time? The goes wrong show. Not the wrong show that goes wrong.
1: Uh, that that show. The, the one with the things that aren't quite good.
0: So the, it's run for two seasons so far. The second of which um, just came out earlier this year, which was very difficult because it was made during Corona, which means that not only could the people not collaborate together on writing, um, it also meant that they were filming a sitcom before a tiny audience. (laughs) (laughs) I would argue, though, I couldn't tell the difference. I accidentally watched some of these out of order yet again, and I couldn't tell the difference between Series 1 and Series 2.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely... Like, it was novel having the audience there. There were certain parts where I was like, oh, that's really unusual for a television show slash live theater performance where uh, it was specifically in the the romantic one where the sets were very unusual. And she finally manages to toss a beer to one of the characters and everybody goes, hey, I found myself doing the same with them. Where I was just like, "Oh, I know, right? yeah, no." <laughs> We're That's all what very I was watching excited.
0: right before we started recording. <laughs> that
1: episode, I've got so much to say about that episode.
0: <laughs> a quick word about the plots and about the conceit of the show itself. So, if you've never seen the Goes Wrong show, okay, the conceit is that you are watching a play of the week put on by the Cornley Dramatic Society, a terrible local drama society, where things keep going wrong. So for example, they'll have the sound cues come in at the wrong time, or they'll have the wrong sound cues. People will forget their lines, the stages will be built incorrectly. All of this sounds like it would make for a terrible show. But somehow it is some of the tightest comedy you will ever see.
1: Yeah, like I said earlier, I you'd think this is a well that will run dry very quickly as well. Like, how many mm-hmm. times can we make uh, somebody forgetting their line joke? But when you or really think about it, or somebody comes in
0: at the wrong cue, or instead yeah, of his it, line, he says the stage directions, or a prop fails, or a light fails, or something
1: fails, and you're like, okay, how long can we draw this out? But when you really get into it, you got to think, all of human failure is on the table here. We just need to use it the right way.
0: Yes, I have to look something up because there was a fantastic article I read with one of the founders. Just give me a second here. Who He described basically the concept do, do, behind do. why this comedy works. Yes, yeah. so for Henry Shields, this is from a Guardian article on the show. The key to their craft is installing the bead, B-I-D-E, a French term that refers to the sinking feeling when you realize something is not right. Quote, it is the moment an actor realizes they've done something wrong, there's that horrific silence. Everyone on stage freezes and nothing happens. They just feel that heartbeat in the pit of their stomach, he says. That's something we take a lot of time to finesse and make sure there's spaces for. And that I think is the key to why this show works because you are always aware of the character going, Oh no, something's wrong without them ever having to telegram that to you. Mm-hmm. And it also feels like a very confident form of comedy The characters never need to turn to the screen and say, this is not working because the gun accidentally went off 20 minutes ago. uh, And now he has to cackle madly and reload the gun while pretending that nothing's (laughs) happening. It's just confident that the audience is intelligent enough to remember, hey, wasn't it funny when that gun went off earlier? Now we have to deal with the consequences of it. You know the saying, too, is that the best performers make it look easy. These guys are making it look easy, because you're never catching them bracing for anything. So all of the shows themselves, I think, kind of blur together. I don't think there's much point in going through this episode by episode.
1: No, no. I mean, the plots of the episodes themselves, again, don't matter.
0: Absolutely not. Like... uh...
1: I mean, yeah, it's a Christmas episode, and it's about supposed to be about family and love and crap. And, <laughs> and oh, this one's a, a scary episode. It's supposed to be about the spooks and the scares. But the audience is so in on the joke. We know that we don't really have to pay attention to, like, even, even the murder mystery show, quote-unquote. Mm-hmm. Like, you see the same things over and over again. To hilarious effect, of course. Yes. Yeah, again, it doesn't matter. I think while I was watching this, my brain came to this idea. Mm -hmm. this, This show lives and dies on three rules. Okay. Rule number one. Everything must be funny.
0: There is no fat in this
1: there is not a second where there's really any downtime or when something isn't happening somewhere on the stage that can't be changed into a funnier moment.
0: If it's not a joke now, it's a setup for a joke later. And most often it's a joke now yeah. and a setup for a joke later.
1: So that's, that's rule number one. Mm-hmm. Everything must be funny. Rule number two. The show must go on. And then must (laughs) is highlighted, bold, italicized, underlined several times in an entirely different font and type font size 36 compared to the usual 10. The show must go on
0: see this is where i get into the confusion about names in this so ignore the fact that we have two henry's founding the company we also have henry shields playing Crispy, okay, who is it. the director of the company and he has a rivalry with henry lewis who plays robert grove who is the leading actor and believes that you know the best acting is big acting so you have this rivalry between those two characters going on through pretty much every single episode but then Chris Bean and Robert Grove are also playing, let's say at least a dozen different characters across these dozen episodes. It gets insane.
1: It's it's wild. But this this sort of through plot that they, they weave into it of mm-hmm. the characters playing characters playing characters characters. I don't know how many levels we're down we are, but that doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. It's such next level writing that you've always got to be, like, it's one thing to, to act in a play and understand that, ah, we're doing Hello Dolly and I'm playing Dolly. Mm-hmm. But now we're doing it on a level of, I'm playing the character of Sandra, who is playing the character of Dolly, and Sandra has IBS today, or something.
0: (laughs) Exactly. That's the thing, that at first, reading that this came out of improv, I was like, that seems ridiculous, because this show is like... Obviously, none of these actors are improvising during these shows, because you can't. There's literally no room. Everyone is whatever the plot equivalent of being sewn into your costume is, you can't be loosey-goosey because you're doing this Mm -hmm. over and over and over, and the stage has to fall on you at this point, and your clothes have to rip off at this point, and you're gonna have to repeat this line three more times for jokes, that sort of thing. But when I think about the commitment that the characters of these actors have, of... Yes, I must continue with this scene no matter what. Yeah, that makes sense in improv. It's kind
1: of like a reverse improv, where improv, you're supposed to be flowing and natural and let things Mm -hmm. kind of just take you as they do. And instead, we've gone in the exact opposite direction of this absolute tightness of the jokes. Things must Mm -hmm. land here, this way, and you will react this way otherwise it might make less comedic sense Mm
0: -hmm. but I also think of it in terms of when the actual writers are writing these and by the way the three creators are credited as writers on every episode it's really everybody writing together when they're creating the characters of these awful awful actors both awful as human beings and awful as in they are not good at acting <laughs> there is this devotion in these actors that it's like one of the first things that you get taught when you're in a drama class or whatever I had a, I had a grade 8 drama teacher who was like number one it's the theater and number one it's drama it's never drama don't let me hear you say drama so that gives you the <laughs> of the kind of drama teacher she was
1: drama
0: you know it's like you know you've taken your first ever drama class and you're like okay you're committing to the bit you are doing the miming of holding the glass you can't stop holding the glass in the middle of the scene it's gonna drop and fall you know you must commit to the reality of holding this glass and so these characters commit to it says that they take a bite out of whatever they have in their hand right now they take a bite out of whatever they have in their hand right now
1: it's the um gosh what is it like the, the, the scenes where they have to take a drink of something and it's
0: mm-hmm.
1: oh this is the closest thing I have. So so in the, the murder mystery episode, where they repeat mm-hmm. the same scene over and over again, but from slightly God, different points. That, you know, I thought you loved that Rashomon-style episode. That's not the way I remember it. Hey! hey! When it gets to the part where, okay, we have to do this again, but now half the set is a morgue, and I don't know what this blue liquid is, but you're going to drink it. <laughs> and then repeating it for the third time and it becomes okay you're going to have to take a drink the The, the script says and he says uh, do you mind if I finish the bottle and all you've got is a half full water cooler well you're going to pick up the <laughs> bottle from that water cooler and finish the fucking thing because the show because the scene must you go on it's genius level stuff of Oh, if we're going to do this, let's really lean into it.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, the second time they do it, it's funny. And the third time, you're like, Oh, I know what we're coming up to now. So it makes leading up to that scene, or leading up to that joke, even funnier. It's like the old Hitchcock bit about suspense. If suddenly a bomb goes off, it's not funny. But... If you understand why this set is half a morgue and half an apartment, Mm -hmm. and (laughs) there's a sign about sexual harassment up on the wall, then it's really funny. (laughs) I I (laughs) love and you can quote Hitchcock on that.
1: Yeah, I loved the the long road it took to get from okay in this. So so the conceit of this episode is two things one some of the sets have been built to the wrong scale
0: <laughs> they confused inches and centimeters
1: <laughs> which which they did far more than that but sure let's go on and yeah, yeah and...
0: this this is not by 2.5 <laughs> no
1: and number two uh, the conceit is oh in order to make switching between scenes easier we've created a whole bunch of sets that split in half and can be pulled apart but oh no wait hold on sometimes the wrong halves go together
0: <laughs>
1: so by the end it's of it brilliant. At, by the end of it you've been through uh, a flashback to a person to a person's home which splits in half a flashback to a morgue which splits in half a flashback to a gym that splits in half And at first it is the... Okay, the two halves of the home aren't quite matching up. And somebody gets his leg caught in between it. Funny, funny, funny. Then it's somebody's home into the morgue. And now the two halves of the set aren't quite matching up. And that's also funny. The third one is now it's half of a morgue and half of a gym but somehow the sets are actually matching up somewhat, (laughs) leading to a woman hiding in one of the morgue drawers. It being pulled out, she rolls off of the drawer onto a thing which leads down a slight slide onto a treadmill that won't slow down, and pushes her into the back of the set. It it Rube Goldbergs itself into shape.
0: She gets punched out the back wall. It's great. I know that uh, these that these are very physically demanding setups that they're doing and every time I watch them I can't believe that that's a real person doing it. I apparently there are some stunt performers, but most of it they're doing themselves.
1: It's it's tremendous, especially the the pratfalls these characters take over time.
0: Dave Hearn is one of my absolute favorites. He plays Max. He is frequently mugging to the camera. He's also, Dave Hearn, is also a dead ringer for our previous guest, Stephen, to the point that it's a little bit spooky. He literally looks like Stephen with an English accent. (laughs) (laughs) But he's also like a parkour guy and a fencer and things like that. And once I learned about that, I'm like, oh, this makes so much sense why this guy is you know your big pratfall guy but it's not like he's the only one doing it everybody is doing ridiculous work
1: i i think i think the best example of the tremendous <laughs> physical ability that this cast has is definitely in the uh romantic era episode
0: please please explain the conceit of 90 degrees to the audience
1: okay i'm All sorry right.
0: I'm, I'm laughing <laughs> yes, at thinking about that's... it that's
1: That's true. That's true. So the episode itself is titled 90 Degrees, and it's meant to exemplify the hot, hot heat that you would get in the southern United States in the summer. 90 degrees. At the beginning of the episode, the director (laughs) comes out and he says, we apologize. The, the, uh, The carpenter crew who makes the stage misread the set instructions. ...and thought that 90 degrees meant that each of the sets needed to be drawn and created 90 degrees from one another. (laughs) And and so you think, okay, alright, that's going to be weird. And the first scene takes place in a regular set, and you go, ah, alright, no problem. Until they turn to get out of the room and into the next room... And in order to do so, they have to crawl through a sideways door in the wall, and now they're in a room that is... Oh, how do, how do, how do I explain this? It's, it's straight up and down. It's a, di- it's, it's a dining room, and the long dining room table is on the wall, and so everybody has to sit with gravity being to their left, pulling them down. But they're, they have to remain in those seats and deliver their lines and perform all the bits of it <laughs> with gravity going in the wrong direction. And it's incredible. So, for example,
0: the housekeeper comes in and she has to offer drinks to everybody along the table. So she, of course, has to be like on an abseiling line just being dropped down behind them because nobody could actually (laughs) possibly walk it and the camera for every single one of these scenes they say oh you know okay so the set was set up wrong but we have clever camera tricks so whichever way the set is the camera is set up to make it still look like they're in a normal set however it'll be things like everybody's hair will be hanging down it looks so good That the first time I watched this episode, I was like, okay, you know, it looks cool, but maybe they just have, like, their hair done up with a ton of hairspray. No, they're actually sitting 90 degrees. Their core strength must be incredible.
1: They are physically sideways the whole time. Like, they're trying to drink drinks, and they have to keep in mind, which way is gravity going? So which way do I hold my cup? (laughs) to keep the liquid inside of the cup in order to pour it into my mouth. Oh shit, now I have to pour it into my mouth. I guess I'll just do that because the show must go on.
0: And everything is cascading down towards the person seated at the end of the table who is now passed out.
1: It's truly incredible to the point where watching it, even if they were in the regular direction room I forgot how gravity was working and anytime they held something I'm like oh it's gonna fly into someone's face even though I can see them standing there I understand that gravity is just going straight up and down in this room but my brain was still going that might fly to the left at any second now
0: It's like one of those trick rooms at a science museum when you're a kid. It's playing with your perspective and things like that. You're like, I know that I'm not actually looking at them on the same uh, parallel to me, but my brain keeps tricking me to think that it is. And my brain keeps tricking me to think that everything's flying like magnetically across the room.
1: Because your brain's also simultaneously thinking, there's no way they would be setting themselves up to hang from chairs sideways wouldn't you pass out wouldn't you fall over wouldn't you something something and this joke continues until they go to the hospital set which is at another 90 degrees from the dining room set so now you have three actors strapped to the ceiling trying desperately to continue a scene and not fall.
0: Number one in terms of upping the ante for comedy, incredible. I feel like we're going to return to this in the trial episode because those are, those are sort of the gimmickiest episodes. But they're also the episodes that I watch with my jaw open, going, I can't believe anyone did this, let alone did it in a good TV show and maintained it for 30 minutes. So, when they were planning 90 degrees, there were some concerns raised about health and safety.
1: Really?
0: <laughs> Particularly for the upside down thing, because the thought was if you kept them upside down for too long, all the blood would rush to their head and make them sick. Mm -hmm. So while it looks like it's being done in front of a live studio audience, there's actually more tricks during the upside down part. Each actor was only ever upside down for a maximum of 90 seconds. They kept getting their blood pressure taken constantly. (laughs) And somebody on the crew was absolutely certain that they were all going to get aneurysms and die. Oh, God.
1: (laughs) The world's deadliest episode of television.
0: It looks incredibly seamless when you watch it. And the upside down part is very, very short. <laughs> because also, there's not much you can do when you are watching somebody trying to pretend that he is lying in bed without being restrained, without falling out of it. Yeah. Uh, this is This is a great episode if you've never seen... This is a great episode of Is It Camp? I mean, if you've never seen it, because it's just going to be us explaining how funny jokes are that you haven't seen.
1: That that kind of really exemplifies the rule two that I came up with in my brain. Mm -hmm. Which leads to rule three. Rule three is the rule of threes.
0: Yes! I feel like this (laughs) is what you would show somebody when you're teaching them how to write comedy
1: that this is the most exemplary kind of thing that you can look up and say this is why the rule of threes works. You have setup, you have variation, and then you land the big punchline on the third one.
0: This is what I feel like um summer once again the Downton Abbey type one really nails.
1: Mm-hmm so the in the Downton Abbey one uh I think one of the best rules of three is is the simple fact that they they can't it it's it's a play it right it's a play so they Mm -hmm. can't afford to show an actual horse on stage but they also need to get across the idea that um Harper is you know a, a of the land, and he's passionate, and he rides horses off into the distance and stuff. So yeah, we'll show you him riding on a horse off in the distance as a video we've taped much, much earlier in another location. They do it again slightly when he's riding away at one point, and then they do it a third time when they have to kill the horse. <laughs> a horse does not actually die. One of the one of the actors gets very angry or the character it's hard to tell the difference sometime like yes <laughs> is it the character or the actor i'm
0: literally just like it's the short guy it's the director guy it's the beardy guy
1: yeah 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 and uh he has to kill the horse so he shoots the horse and it cuts to another previously filmed scene with uh i, I the closest i can say is an effigy of a horse <laughs> A wicker <laughs> they, man of a horse. A wicker man of a horse. Thank you. <laughs> that you hear from off screen. All right, action. It blows up. <laughs> and one of them says, no, I don't think we use too much dynamite. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh,
1: my the, God. the one
0: I was thinking of in um, Summer once again is the conceit at this point The drama society has changed directors, so the new director is certain that he is going to run this right. They've had so many mistakes in the past, but they're not going to have any mistakes this time. What this leads to is each time there is a mistake, he starts the show over again from the top, which means you watch the same scene (laughs) three times as things consistently get worse. I'm watching in the first one where somebody's eating two plates of goulash and then a slice of cake. I'm like, that's a lot of food for somebody to be eating in one. I wonder if this is going to be coming back. (laughs) The character then, of course, has to eat another two plates of goulash and another piece of cake in the next scene until in the third scene, the actor has to eat it because the show must go on, but is begging off of it as clearly as he can without breaking character.
1: It's some genius level writing of what if we torture the actors, not the characters? <laughs> what if we torture the actors? Like, in the same thing, um, them, every time the piano starts playing, they have to sing along with the piano. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But the mechanism of the piano... It doesn't matter what
0: point they're at in the story. No, it doesn't matter if no, it makes sense for them to be singing right now.
1: No, their their stage direction was when the piano plays, sing along with it, no matter what. <laughs> or else, I, I, I don't know what that would have been, the, what kind of stage direction from the re- director, but yeah. Which is, which is
0: the funny thing that this is... Uh, Created by a bunch of improv comedians because the characters of these actors are so insanely terrified of improv. They will not go off script for any reason.
1: There is no reason in heaven or hell why they shouldn't just repeat a whole scene again because a cue came up that will make them repeat it.
0: Or there's another uh, time when they're singing at the piano and the sheet music gets mixed up. So they wind up singing uh, Little Town of Bethlehem to the tune of Camptown Races, because that's the music they have right now.
1: (laughs) Oh, my God. And, of course, we're going to do it three times. We'll do it once to set up that joke. Yeah, they sing well, they oh, when the piano plays. Then they do it a second time when the piano starts playing again and won't stop playing. And then it'll happen a third time, much later in the episode, when the piano goes haywire again and all the characters have to run over and start singing along with it until somebody finally... Uh, oh, wait, a cat falls out of it. Whatever. Whatever.
0: If the piano isn't working and it slows down and goes super deep, then you have to sing like this. (laughs) I think it's really astonishing that this show succeeds as much as it is because I never feel like as a viewer, I'm being given information where I'm like, oh, this is simply to tell me that it's going to be funny later when a piano falls out of the sky or something like that. No, it's the joke is that the piano doesn't arrive on time. And then later when the piano falls, I feel like the smart one for going, "Oh, that's the piano that didn't come in earlier."
1: Mhm. It's it's a uh, it's the very British sensibility of uh like you've seen Miranda, you and I have both seen Miranda and we get this humor mm-hmm. that there's a joke at the end of this episode we want to get to. But first what we need to do is set up five sub jokes that will build yes. into one giant joke but it it happens so organically and naturally that you think like what what was this reverse engineered like we know the end joke is coming or did we have five solid jokes that somebody looked at and said oh you know what would be really funny if all five of these came together to make this thing happen right absolutely it's...
0: One like, of the where's... writers talked about, sorry, go ahead.
1: Well, I was just going to say, where's the line? And then I burped. So you can keep <laughs> that in.
0: <laughs> One of the writers was talking about their writing process as a team. And the idea that basically something's either funny or it isn't. And you can't let Ego get in the way of that. Um, He compared it to being a plumber. Like, if your plumber comes in and the taps are still leaking after that, then he hasn't done his job. And you don't want to cushion his feelings by saying, "Uh, no, the taps are fine. You have to tell him, like, you didn't do your job correctly and the taps are still running. And it's the same approach here. There's nothing left in that you feel like is there for ego if it is it's for the character's ego so for example max will often uh break and corpse and repeat a joke a couple times if the audience is reacting to it but you never feel like that's dave hearn doing it that's always max doing it
1: yeah there's there's a certain level of um again this idea that you were talking about with ego right like the characters are also written a very specific way and the fact that one of the actors his character is usually a sound effect guy (laughs) that he has to sit in the stage in the scene in some kind of costume or disguise only to produce a key sound effect at some point and the the one time they do give him like actual lines he is so petrified of what he's doing <laughs> that he fucks up everything and that joke wouldn't work quite as well if we didn't know that in the previous four episodes he had been a fax machine or an evil deer head or <laughs> um, what else did he play um, fax machine uh, deer a head reindeer, reindeer um, because uh, all, all he does is he sits in the scene, and you forget that he exists there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But it's all his head is always there. It's it's so brilliant. So when he finally does get a chance to be a lead actor in an episode, he can hardly take it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and that's the that's what I mean about ego too. The guy who plays, I forget the. Actual actor's name, but the actor that he is playing is called Dennis. The guy playing Dennis is one of the founders of the company, which to me is like, I'm surprised that he doesn't have a bigger role every time like the other two founders do. But number one, he kills it every time. And number two, it's this real confidence to step back and be like, I only have to be in this for two minutes. Everybody else is also great.
1: Exactly exactly that's that's it the confidence of knowing your material is so good and your cast the people you're working with is so good that you can just be in the scene as a fax machine and it will be (laughs) the funniest fax machine we've ever seen on television Mm -hmm. it boggles the mind it's it truly is incredible and I mean, on top of it, there's this unique quality that all the actors have in this of being somewhere between the ages of 25 and 55 and depending upon <laughs> the episode, because I, sw- I swear I was watching it and I'm like, oh, they got new people for this one. And then I go, no way to a- hold on a second. It's the same people from the last one, but they look younger this time. What are they
0: doing? I know. Pre- it- Particularly the two actresses, the two actresses, Charlie Russell and Brianne Corrigan, who are like the blonde one and the brunette one. Wigs make them indistinguishable to me. I can't. It takes me staring to figure out which one is which.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. It it's like when when he comes on screen at the beginning of every episode and he's ah yes I am the director. Director and i'm like that is that is a 45 year old man right there and then you get into yeah. the play and you go no well, hold on a second is that a second guy that looks kind of like him oh no that is him it's it's stage magic it's movie magic that <laughs> these actors live in some bizarre liminal space i mean for all i know they could actually be eldritch gods manipulating my senses <laughs> At this point,
0: except <laughs> for the one episode in which two of them are meant to play identical twins and look nothing alike. Well,
1: I mean, that's the great joke about twins looking nothing <laughs> alike. There, there are definitely tried and true uh, jokes that are being reused here. That we all know. <laughs> we know how this is going to go. Having a set of twins that look nothing alike. Brilliant. Oh shit. Uh, having a woman play a man's part that is a funny joke but it becomes especially funny when she has to walk out of the shower and it's very clearly not her body anymore (laughs) (laughs) it's so clear I, I mean a lot of the jokes are very well telegraphed as well so if you're in the know, if you know what's coming, you can have a good laugh over the idea that it that it's coming. But then they also do the, we're telegraphing the joke, we're telegraphing the joke, and the joke is entirely different than what you thought it was going to be. Well, fuck.
0: They speak a lot about their influences being early film comedians. So like Keaton Chaplin... Laurel and Hardy, things like that, and when you think about um, the work that those people were doing in silent film, maybe that's part of why the language isn't as important in this, and why it's so easily translated to other languages and other settings. The language is just kind of yeah, yeah guiding I, you along.
1: I I mean, there's, there's there's the statistic that one of the most recognizable human faces in the world is Charlie Chaplin, and mm-hmm that's because his movies could be sold everywhere it it was worldwide because why not all he's doing is being a human being with pratfalls and jokes but he doesn't have to say a bloody word
0: he was irish how many people do you know think of charlie chaplin and think irish accent
1: yeah i always thought he was english as well but then you know Um, a bloody colonizer thinking everywhere should be england (laughs) <laughs> to you, you just,
0: you just look at a globe and you're like, right, England. Moon circles England. around, I've, England.
1: I've, I've figured out geography very early on. It's all <laughs> England going down.
0: You're very good at it when you only have to remember one flag.
1: <laughs> yeah, England. Simple.
0: Two series, I still don't feel like they've milked this as much as they could be. I don't feel like they're running dry. Yeah, it,
1: it definitely is. There's something very special they've tapped into. I don't know if it's their writer's room, or if there's a chemistry that they've figured out between them, or if they've got two or three really powerful writers, or a, a, a blood spell using the the necromantic energies of the Queen as she refuses to die. It's... There's something genuinely singular about this cast, this performance, this writer's room that I don't know if it could ever be replicated by... I, I'm sure there's other troops out there going around trying the same things or doing similar mm-hmm. things. People already workshopping stuff. I'm sure there's improv groups and whatnot. Who who knows, right? Because the world of theater is so bloody big. Could you see, like, an American version of this working?
0: We may someday cover the Reduced Shakespeare Company who does a piece called The Complete Works of William Shakespeare, yes. Abridged.
1: That's definitely now, on the list. have you ever seen that? You showed it to me.
0: <laughs> For those who haven't seen it, they cover every play. It's, a, it's a, like a 90-minute play. And they cover every Shakespeare play in the first half. And then the second half, they focus only on Hamlet. And they keep performing Hamlet faster and faster and faster. Again, it's the rule of threes. Until eventually... <laughs> The entirety of Hamlet is three actors running on stage, hitting themselves on the head, and falling down dead. And I I think that the Reduced Shakespeare Company and this definitely have a lot of shared DNA, shall we say? Yeah. Not necessarily yeah. set based, because that's I mean I've I've seen that live and it's just a black box. But definitely in terms of rule of threes.
1: I know, for example, there's the oh fuck, what is it called? potted potter i mean as much as we hate Mm -hmm, to talk about that whole thing but it's supposed to be all seven books of the the harry potter series condensed into 90 minutes right Mm -hmm. and it's like okay you you guys clearly crammed your notes from the reduced shakespeare company and i don't know if that would make it funnier or not who knows but, I mean, I'm also just not here for the potter of it all anymore. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, exactly. I'm very much... <laughs> but you tell me much.
0: the concept of try to squeeze these seven fantasy novels into 90 minutes. I'm like, that sounds pretty funny.
1: Yeah, yeah, there's something about it. And, I mean, hopefully one day we'll, we'll get to the complete works of Shakespeare abridged. But I, I mm-hmm. will say this, Sarah. You say that they cover all of Shakespeare's works... His histories aren't really so much covered as they are mentioned.
0: (laughs) They're alluded to.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know, covering is in the largest quotation marks, but they're comedy quotation marks. So we let it go.
0: Have you ever seen Preston... I, I promise I have a point with this. I promise I have a point with this. Have you ever seen the 1940s... Uh, Preston Sturges comedy, Sullivan's Travels.
1: No, I have never seen Sullivan's Travels.
0: Okay. It stars Joel McRae and Veronica Lake. And Joel McRae plays a big shot film director who is known for doing comedies, but he wants to create his... You know, there's something that he's always wanted to create, which which is a serious drama, something that's really going to get to the heart of the nation in these tough times. I say 1940s; it's probably like mid 30s, because the nation's in a hard time, and he needs to create a piece of honest, real art that actually tells the story of these people. You okay. know, insufferable. <laughs> um, from 1941. A of mishaps. It's okay, it's 1941. You. There you go. Through a series of mishaps, he, you know, it's like a road comedy or something like that. I haven't watched it in years. But he is determined to create this serious drama called Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Yeah, that's that's how the Coen brothers got the name. Which is extra funny when you consider the plot of Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? But basically, he gets he loses all his power. He loses all of his money. He's on the road trying to make it back to his own life. And eventually, he winds up in like a prison cinema where they are sitting together, and these people are at the lowest point of their lives. And they just get to watch a movie. And what do they watch? But one of his old movies, the ones that he hates, the dumb comedies that he thinks aren't important. And these people are transformed while they watch this movie. They are at the happiest he has ever seen any of them. And that, here's the segue, brace yourself, that is how I feel about this show in quarantine. The first season came out January, 2020. The second one was made during quarantine and came out in fall of 2021. But I feel like watching this, sitting alone on my bed in my apartment, I have laughed out loud at at least one thing in every single episode.
1: Huh.
0: Huh. So yeah, it doesn't say a lot. They they one of the f- founders said we try not to be political, which normally I'm like, "Oh, I hate that. Everything's political." But this really is just the sort of thing where you watch and it is just this wave of serotonin and dopamine flowing into you.
1: It's it's great. It's That's exactly what we need sometimes. Like right now, I know for my own watching pleasure, uh, I've just been binging through Bob's Burgers, all of Bob's Burgers, Mm -hmm. and then taking breaks every once in a while, because I just want nice people being nice and doing nice things. And this show is definitely nice people being nice and doing nice things, but Mm -hmm. in also the worst possible way yeah (laughs) right it's like it's it's not i don't come away from any episode hating any of the characters or hating what i've just seen and just being like oh gosh oh you know why can't marjorie just stop doing that kind of thing instead Mm -hmm. it's just oh okay everyone's fucking up but they're all trying their best to get through this show together sort of i mean granted uh the big one the big beardy one i don't know what his name is david maybe yes who knows uh da- his,
0: his character's name is chris oh no robert robert yes
1: rock robert chris david yeah anyway, uh, one. yeah the big beardy one that's quite handsome Uh, found myself... I knew it! I knew it! (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, How long were you waiting for me to drop that?
0: (laughs) It's funny, because I was looking at the... um, at their bios on the Mistress Theater website today, and it's like about the cast, and I was like, blah blah blah, blah. and he's the only one who Great. has his pronouns listed, and I was like, oh my, this man is very handsome. Well, <laughs> oh, I want
1: to, want to see now. I want to see now. Show me the handsome man. Hello, it's it's me, Samuel, and I'm just type type typing away. Is there any glimmer of hope in the world that he might be my kind of man? I mean, well,
0: he's a big beardy man, and he is in the theater. I like to think so.
1: But you know what I mean by I, I, eyebrow waggle. My kind of man.
0: A friend of Dorothy, yes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> a f- friend of Dorothy. <laughs> My God, are we really that old?
0: <laughs> I tried to use that once. The first time I went to London. <laughs> I was chatting with some people in the hostel, (laughs) and I was like, I was getting a vibe off this one guy, so I thought I would be cool and be like, use this slang, and I'm like, England's old-fashioned as fuck, they're gonna know this, and I'm like, so are you a friend of Dorothy? And he's like, no, I don't know anyone named Dorothy.
1: Oh, no.
0: And then the other person standing with us was like, she's asking if you're gay, and he's like, oh, yeah, I'm gay. (laughs) It's like... I just wanted to use my cool old-fashioned slang.
1: I, I had a similar thing the other day at work, where I was—I tried to make a reference to the hanky code.
0: Mm, yes, where same thing. Like, it's a good thing that we don't need these things anymore. But I'd like to have a cool secret code. With with
1: the hanky, what had happened was some somebody had come in with mm-hmm. a brand new handkerchief. And they were using it and. It was, it was a black handkerchief with red flames on it. And I was like, oh. Does that... Does okay, that mean- I can
0: guess. I, I haven't seen that listed on the Hanky Code, but I can guess what it means.
1: I was, I was going to say, does that mean you're into Flavortown? And... He, <laughs> the guy just looks at me, gives me this look, and I'm like, because of your, because of your handkerchief... He's like, what are you on about? And I'm like, oh God, do I have to explain the hanky code to, to a flat scan right now? I'm, my into jo- Guy uh, I'm, I'm into Guy
0: Fieri's.
1: I'm into Guy's and Guy
0: Fieri's.
1: I'm into drive ins, diners, and dives.
0: <laughs> diners, drive ins, Dives and drag.
1: And, and daves. <laughs> uh, there's a glory hole in this diner that I've been dying to check <laughs> out. It
0: comes through on a flip-flop. <laughs> You've got to try it with the donkey spot.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <laughs>
0: <laughs> A gay bar called Flavor Town.
1: <laughs> Listen, Guy Fieri fought and possibly died for our rights at Stonewall, and this is how you treat him?
0: <laughs> Guy Fieri threw the first crock at Stonewall. <laughs> oh
1: my god! Oh my god! Oh. My stomach hurts. <laughs> I threw up my I threw out my back today and this isn't helping
0: oh no <laughs> see I've, that makes you older than knowing what the hanky coat is
1: if only if only we still had a hanky code I would I would kill to be able to look at a man and be like oh I know exactly what he's into and also <laughs> definitely gay as opposed to me yes. accidentally pining over like Oh, look at that handsome man. I have no idea what his sexuality is.
0: See, that's the thing. The hanky code, I feel like, goes out as soon as the straights learn about what the hanky code is. The fact that you and me as, like, sheltered teenagers knew about what the hanky code was from reading about it in books killed it. That and Ronald Reagan. Well, uh, I think right. Ronald f- Reagan has more of the fault than we do.
1: <laughs> to be fair, Ronald Re- Reagan killed a lot of things. <laughs> There's a reason he's burning in hell right now.
0: Uh, that's going to be the best thing about going to hell. I get to punch Ronald <laughs> Reagan in the face.
1: I've already I've already bought my fast pass to get ahead of the line to punch <laughs> Ronald Reagan in the face. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Pay twenty bucks extra; it comes with a commemorative popcorn bucket. It's it's
1: it's great because I also get to take a picture with uh, you know mascot Satan.
0: (laughs) Yeah, a flashbulb goes off while you're punching him, but they tell you five minutes beforehand when it's going to be in the ride.
1: I specifically ask that i want my my picture of me punching reagan to look like what's his name shooting what's his face in that famous photo (laughs) just replace the gun with my fist
0: Uh, the vietnam war photo
1: no not that one the one of the guy i think it was was it lee harvey oswald getting shot oh yes by jack jesus Jesus christ sarah (laughs) (laughs) that's why I was so shocked this is the episode that goes wrong (laughs) You thought thought I wanted to commit a war crime? No! I I, I was
0: thinking, what's the first picture I can think of of somebody getting shot? And that was the most (laughs) famous one that came to mind. I'm
1: I'm so sorry, audience campers, (laughs) that you have to sit through two idiots laughing (laughs) laughing their way through the back half of the episode. I'm going to come back and I'm going to listen to this and I'm going to go what the fuck while I'm still laughing along because guess what, in four weeks punching Ronald Reagan in hell is still going to be fucking funny <laughs> <laughs> where were we? what 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 point were we on beyond I was lusting after Hen- Henry Lewis Henry Lewis if you're listening call me, call me
0: please and if you're straight Henry Lewis call me please I'm just. I'm not putting myself out there. I'm just saying if that's an option. Yeah, you know?
1: yeah. You know what? Let's. We're both putting ourselves out there for Henry
0: Lewis. Henry Lewis, if you are ace or uh, married or something, pretend you never heard this. Let's let's play it cool.
1: Mrs. Henry Lewis, or potentially Mr. Henry Lewis, or Mix Henry Lewis. Um, yeah, it, just ignore <laughs> what we've been doing, please.
0: I feel like the finale episodes of this show. That might be a good place to wrap up. But if they have anything left in the tank, I would love to see it.
1: Yeah, and and just take your time. I think we've we've entered this really beautiful point of television history where all of a sudden a lot of channels, a lot of shows, a lot of whoever behind the scenes are realizing that we don't need like a season a year we don't need episodes constantly Mm -hmm. as much as other shows want to do that right where i feel like we can barely move for some television shows releasing new episodes suddenly uh Mm -hmm. there are others that are content to be like you know what we're gonna sit back we're gonna take our time and we're gonna come to you with a new season when we've made the best possible polished product right And I love that. I love knowing that there's no time constraints for some of these shows anymore, right? It's not, we have to get the season done and over by May 20th of next year, right? We start on September 25th, Mm -hmm. we end on May 20th, we take off a couple weeks for Christmas, and we do the odd repeat episode here and there. Instead, it's like, nah, we'll get it to you when it's ready. And I... I enjoy, the, I mean granted, that I'm sure that's pissing off tons of people who are like No! I need new Doctor oh, yeah. Who right now! I need to see what happens in the the calling Saul better right now and stuff <laughs> It's like, no, no, let them write it well, otherwise we'll end up with mm-hmm. Season 8 of Game of Thrones again
0: Oh my god, the thing that, that I really think of because they share so much DNA is Faulty Towers. This show and Faulty Towers are very, very similar. They're this sort of high farce, door slamming, misunderstanding sort of show. Um, and Faulty Towers famously was like, "Yeah, we don't have it in us anymore after two series." And you know, people have been asking for more for forty years, and they're not going to get any more. But you know what? Faulty Towers didn't really have a bad episode.
1: Yeah, Faulty Towers is a fairly perfect comedy, right? Mm-hmm. It, it came in, it knew what it was doing, and it bowed out when it had to. Unlike, I don't know, maybe Red Dwarf, which is still technically not cancelled. Yes. <laughs> and continues to pump out new episodes of varying qualities when that happens. Sometimes, I guess
0: to loop back to something that i mentioned before too for flight of the concords jemaine and brett told their agents their reps whatever that they specifically didn't want to be told how much money they were being offered for season three because they're like we kind of don't want to do it we don't think we can do it but if you tell us how much money they're gonna give us we're gonna to want to do it yeah and you know what they've stuck to it ever since and the same thing. That show went out on a high. People are still asking them for more.
1: They've they've definitely gone out on a high note. And quite frankly, they're all three of them, four of them if you include Chris and Shaw, They they've done tremendous in their careers. See our episode on our flag. Five if you
0: include Taika. Taika directed a bunch of episodes.
1: That's true too. Five if you include Taika. Mm-hmm. There's there's a real power I think in. These artists knowing when to bow out and not holding themselves hostage to, mm-hmm. like, we have to. We have to put out another season. We've been blah, blah, blah. Instead, it's like, if the muse strikes us, if we have something really good, let's do it. If not, why are we going to hamstring ourselves Into making an inferior product It'll just leave a bad taste In our mouths and the audience's mouth
0: It's incredible I If you guys have listened to this point And haven't gone to watch it You've got to watch it What are you waiting for? Stop the podcast Why are you, okay, listen, you, why
1: are you listening Great, to us? Thanks. Uh, welcome back Wasn't that funny? <laughs>
0: So, Sam, I think we've come to the point of the show (laughs) where I've got to ask you, is the goes wrong show camp?
1: This is really hard for me because this is treading that very fine line between comedy and camp. It's such Mm -hmm. deliberate comedy. It's such deliberate characterization. But I think where the camp comes in is your understanding of how theater works and some of the jokes Mm -hmm. will land better for you if you understand how a play technically works and what goes on if you're less play literate I think a couple of these jokes may miss you in terms of what goes Mm -hmm. on ah I don't I don't know because the, the comedy is so good it's so good that it is just straight comedy can I leave this in camp limbo for the time being
0: yes absolutely
1: I, I banish the goes wrong show to camp limbo put in a sound effect here Sarah is it camp
0: Yes, and I'm going to explain myself using a word that hasn't come up yet. Panto. Uh
1: ah, uh, ooh! I feel like that girl who drank uh, kombucha, where she's like, ah, mm, uh, ah, mm, uh,
0: mm-hmm. uh, mm,
1: <laughs> Is that is that good? And. T- yeah.
0: To the point where in the first episode, the drunk Santa reprimands the audience for taking part. (laughs) And I went, I (laughs) mean, this has my heart. It's funny too, because they have women frequently dress up as men, but they never have men dress up as women. Mainly because there's just not enough female roles. The way that they are playing with the audience without necessarily having that direct interaction like Panto feels very camp to me and we've talked so much about the different layers of this about the actors playing actors the characters of the actors are always playing it 100% straight they are failed sincerity every single time and that's why I think it's camp
1: yeah yeah the sincerity I think is the thing that also wins me over with that that it is while it's comedy, it's not punching down. It is a love letter to the theater, to stagecraft, and to the many, many ways that it can go horribly wrong but still produce great comedy.
0: So thank you for joining us today on our exploration of The Goes Wrong Show. Please subscribe on your podcaster of choice, leave a star rating and review where you can, because it always helps us to find new people who may not know what their camp favorite is.
1: Yes, and next week we're going to do a a little bit of a departure from our usual shtick. We won't be talking about a film or TV show or, or movie or... I said film shut up Uh, a book no 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 no! nothing like that instead we are going to be celebrating our first year doing the podcast woo we did it 52
0: episodes well this is episode 51 that will be our 52 (laughs) episode
1: we're gonna we're gonna call this uh, our our year anniversary and what better way to do that than with an awards show we're calling this episode The Airing of Delights, an award show where we give out awards to things that we like and love and just generally chit chat about things that we like and love.
0: It's not Festivus. Festivus is the airing of grievances. This week we will only be uplifting things that have brought us joy over this past year.
1: We have uh, talked to the Is It Camp overlords and the dark and naughty gods that control us all and they have sent down from the pit <laughs> a, a myriad <laughs> of different categories which things will be voted in and then given the awards to and by voted in I mean in a very secret behind the curtain kind of way that unfortunately you not being part of the Is It Camp Academy can vote in
0: This isn't a democracy, it's a chirocracy.
1: We've got an applause meter set up in the back and it will be recording <laughs> how much you applauded during You guys, did you you guys all downloaded the applause meter app to go with our episodes, right? Right? It's okay,
0: We're, Sam. I talked to the NSA. They're all listening in on their phones anyway.
1: Okay. Great. Great. We'll be using those metrics to determine Whatever the fuck we feel like. So yeah, next week, uh, it's going to be a bit of a, a free-for-all. No homework for anyone. Great, you guys get to rest. And uh, we're just going to chit-chat and give away awards. Yay! Until then, you, our audience, our campers, our beloved listeners, can continue the discussion on our Twitter and our Instagram. I am at Hurius Indigo, all one word, spelt the Welsh way. R H Y S. I got that the wrong way round. Shut up. Keep going.
0: <laughs> and I am at Sour Citrus Lady. You can follow the pod on at Is It Camp Pod. Until next week, wait an hour before swimming. Watch out for snakes and stay camp.
1: Bye. Get out! Get out! <laughs> <laughs> no, you have to wait
0: oh, for the sink, I can't believe you're holding that back.
1: No, not the way you do it.